have to say it's been it has been really wonderful uh, preparing this week uh, because the content of this passage really hits home to me, uh, hits close to home for me. Um, so in many ways this morning as I'm talking, I'm also holding up a mirror. Um, so we're talking about pleasing God and not necessarily people. Um, and I've often grappled with whether or not, you know, my actions and my life are, are pleasing to God. You know, did I correctly respond in that situation or did I make the right decision here Um, is this my idea or is it God's will Um, and so often when I'm asking those questions I'm also seeking advice from other people as well and I'm never sure if I'm hearing God's response as loudly as I'm hearing others opinions and and sometimes what other people think um, and what might please them tends to take priority over Um, really discerning what would be pleasing to God. Um, However, in in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he makes clear and defends his ultimate purpose of pleasing God, not people. So we'll look at um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, verse 1, and that is page 1169 in your pew Bibles, 1169. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Um, This journey through Thessalonians is also very fresh to me because it wasn't long ago that uh, several of us concluded a a Bible book study by uh, Beth Moore on Thessalonians. And so I'll reference some of her um, insight on the passage, as well as um, a commentator, David Guzik is his name. Uh, At the beginning of the passage, Paul starts out by assuring the Thessalonian believers that their time there was not without results. It wasn't in vain. It wasn't a failure, even though uh, Paul had to kind of rush out because of the opposition. He fleed in uh, the middle of the night. So he's just reassuring them it wasn't a failure. He's clarifying um, because of some false accusations that would have been made by the Jewish leaders um, to discredit him. 
In verses 2 and 3, Paul reminds the Thessalonians that even before coming there, he and the others had already suffered in Philippi, and they still had the courage and strength to preach to them. So he's saying, don't listen to those guys. They, they're trying to make a, a big mess. We were there because we wanted to be, to share the gospel and to, to live with you, even against the opposition. And Gusick writes, Despite what some of Paul's accusers said, he did not just preach the gospel when it was easy or convenient. He knew what it was like to speak boldly for the Lord, even in much conflict. I have to wonder if Paul received a kind of adrenaline rush from his ministry because physically he, he must have. His body was kind of in a fight mode. He, would, he was persecuted so often. He was in life-threatening situations for the gospel several times. He had just gone through a flogging at Philippi before coming to Thessalonica, and now he's being ridiculed again. Beth Moore said it this way, instead of being once bitten, twice shy, Paul was once bitten, twice bold. They were not driven by deceit, impure motives, or a desire to please people. They were driven by purpose to please God. Have you ever felt that kind of purpose that you're focused and and nothing can um, stand in your way? That passion to to really make much of, of Christ and what he's doing. Um, Paul was not without fault, but he sure was not held captive by any um, fear or, or trust, lack of fear or trust. He knew he was approved by God, and he knew only God was testing his heart, so he wasn't speaking to please people. A couple years prior to writing to the Thessalonians, Paul again makes his stance clear when he writes to the churches of Galatia. Um, In chapter 1 of Galatians, he says, Obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I'm trying to please God. If I were trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. This is how serious he is. And this is where I want to camp for a while on what it means to please God. What we don't need to worry about is that pleasing God will be a dull life, um, void of any happiness. (laughs) Um, In fact, it's much the opposite. Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote, man cannot please God without bringing to himself a great amount of happiness. For if any man pleases God, it is because God accepts him. As his son gives him the blessing of adoption, pours upon him the bounties of grace, makes him a blessed man in this life. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That is to say, do what you may, strive as earnestly, as earnestly as you can, live as excellently as you please, make what sacrifices you choose, be as eminent as you can for everything that is lovely and of good repute, but none of these things can be pleasing to God unless they be mixed with faith. Um, as I had said earlier, I often wonder how exactly to please God, what would be most pleasing to him. Um, scripture has lots of helpful um, principles for living a, a God-honoring life, but it's more than that. The scripture we have is um, the living word, and, and we can take heart in knowing that God is pleased when we commune with him over his word. Uh, Ephesians 5 is a great guide for testing if our lives are pleasing to God. We were created in the image of God, 
So it makes sense when Paul writes, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And then later in Ephesians um, 5, chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 10, we are charged to um, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And this goes hand in hand with Paul's statement in the latter part of uh, verse 4 that says he, God alone, examines the motives of our hearts. And Beth Moore that notes that the verb um, test and examine there, it translates, um, it's a a present and continuous testing. It's not a a pop-up test designed to um, catch us off guard. Um, God is ever testing our hearts. His love for us is also present and continuous. We say, trust God, yet we agonize privately over whether he can be trusted. However, he, he knit us together. He knows the number of hairs on our head, and he knows our thought processes. And praise God, he took care of our sin and reconciled us to himself. But he didn't even leave us after that. He, he sent his spirit comforter and guide, our our intercessor. And in Romans 8, Paul gives a beautiful description of the Spirit working in and for us. Um, Romans 8, 10 and 11 say, And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Verses 26 and 27, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us as believers in harmony with God's own will. How remarkable that we have this advocate working for us um, in the Spirit. And the Father that knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. So we're not alone in this. Uh, In an interview, uh, John Piper was asked, "Is, Is God more pleased with someone who seems to have greater gifts to offer? And he responded this way, What pleases God is not that one can preach and another can pray, or one can write and another can work with his hands. What pleases God is how we use our gifts, not which ones we have. Piper then tells about a time uh, when Billy Graham had come to speak, um, and he says that Graham had said to them in a chapel address that he expected some of them, Graham, expected that some of them would be receiving a greater reward in heaven than he would. And they looked at him kind of skeptically, and, and he got very serious and said, Do you not understand that God rewards faithfulness, not fruitfulness? The faithful use of a small gift elicits more delight in God than poor use of a huge gift. I think this is so important to remember that God's ways and his examining of our hearts go beyond our own logic. 
It seems Paul had a, a firm grasp on that. It's evident in our passage that he was not seeking his own personal glory, which is why in verse 5 Paul can say, never once did we try to win you with flattery. We were not just pretending to be your friends for your money. The definition of flatter is to try to please by complimentary remarks or attention, to praise a compliment insincerely um, or excessively, to represent favorably um, or gratify by falsification. Beth Moore says flattery seeks favor by wearing a mask that mirrors the other person in the best possible light. But on the other end of the spectrum, we have encouragement and affirmation and exhortation. Um, these are edifying behaviors that, that Paul um, exemplified. I think we need more of this, less empty flattery and more um, thoughtful encouragement, especially from those who are um, further along on their faith journey than we are. We should look for the best in others, their most Christ-like uh, attributes and behaviors, and encourage them. This was Paul's resolve, too, to honestly encourage, not flatter, because he did not esteem praise for man in return. His reputation um, wasn't the most important thing to him. Paul's driving purpose was to please and glorify God. He was also very sensitive to the Spirit, so glorifying God could look different in many situations. Um, but regardless of his circumstance, Paul's identity was rooted very deeply in Jesus, and not the opinions of others. If you're, if you're like me, as I was reading this passage, I wondered, if Paul is so secure with who he is in Christ, why does he seem to be defending himself for like five chapters, or five verses? Um, this question brings, brings us back to the topic of, of pleasing God, and if pleasing people has any part in it, I would tend to argue that, yes, we do need to be concerned about um, our brothers' and sisters' perspectives. Um, the question is to what extent. I came across another article by John Piper entitled, Does It Matter What Others Think? In it, he sheds light on the different perspectives that are represented in Scripture. And if we compare our passage today um, in verse 4, where Paul says he does not speak to please men, with a passage, um, passages like Romans 14 and 15, um, it seems at first they're in opposition to one another. In fact, the, the title of chapter 15 in my uh, New Living said, Living to Please Others. So I was like, I'm not sure what to do with that. Um, but in, in his article, um, Piper clarifies, how is the tension... Uh, between these two groups of passages to be resolved? The answer, by realizing that our aim in life is for Christ to be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. In other words, with Paul, we do care, really care what people think of Christ. Their salvation hangs on what they think of Christ. And our lives are to display his truth and beauty. So we must care what others think of us as representatives of Christ, Love demands it. But notice where the accent falls. Not on our value or our excellence or our virtue or power or wisdom. It falls on whether Christ is honored by the way people think of us. Does Christ look great because of the way we live? It matters to us whether he does. And Piper continues, yes, we want people to see us with approval when we are displaying that Jesus 
is infinitely valuable to us, but we dare not make the opinion of others the measure of our faithfulness. We dare not make the opinion of others the measure of our faithfulness. I know I felt I could breathe a little easier after reading that. Piper helped to clarify um, the balance of pleasing God, not people and pleasing God and people. Um, In the next section of verses, Paul compares um, he and his team to innocent children or a gentle mother taking care of her children, nurturing them. Um, He's again making clear to them his sincerity. Guzik notes that the phrase Paul used in verse 8 is a rare verb. In the English Standard Version, it reads, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves as well. Paul's preaching was effective because he gave to the Thessalonians not only the gospel, but himself as well. It was real. They could see it in his life. It has been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul gave both his care and knowledge to the Thessalonians. Paul genuinely loved and cared for people. He walked with them, and they shared lives together. In the same way, we can walk with one another on the journey, not to please only other people, but because it is pleasing to God and brings him glory when we represent him well with our lives. Um, I'll invite the the worship team up and close with a quote um, from Beth Moore.